my grandparents, my mother's parents, were people that I always thought of as fairly sophisticated and uh, 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 cosmopolitan. You know, they, they owned their own business. They lived in a nice house in the city. They, they participated in, you know, the life of the town. They, they belonged to a country club and they, they drank, you know, cocktails from little cocktail glasses. Um, and so they seemed, especially compared to my father's parents, um, these very sort of sophisticated people. Um, and so when I was 16 and I was getting ready to go to Australia, I was going to be there for a year as an exchange student, my, I think, I can't remember which one it was, but one of them said to me, oh, while you're in Australia, you know, bluegrass music is really big over there. You should go check it out. And, and there were a couple of things going through my head. First of all, I'm pretty sure my eyes rolled so far back that I was looking out the backside. <laughs> Um, because there wasn't anything more hopelessly uncool than bluegrass music. <laughs> and I also, I was, I was kind of bewildered because I, I, never, I never knew that this was something that my grandparents liked. I mean, they weren't like people who listened to jazz or anything. But, you know, I, this, this seemed incongruous that they would listen to that, that twangy hillbilly music and be the sophisticated people that I thought they were. I also was highly skeptical that anybody in some place like Australia would listen to bluegrass music. Uh, and I'll be honest, I, I didn't go to Australia and find a bunch of bluegrass music. I mean, I'm sure it's there and all that, but I wasn't really looking for it at that time. That wasn't really the kind of the genre of music I was into. So, so I was kind of dismissive of my grandparents. And if any of you heard grandparents, you know exactly what that's like. But fast forward 10 years, and I found myself, I, I used to own a horse farm, and I'd be working in the barn at night cleaning up. Horses are very messy. Barbara probably knows about this, right? Where is she? Right? Horses are, very, you know what? They, they go to the bathroom a lot, and you got to clean all that stuff up. They're horribly messy. So you got to clean up every day, clean up the barn, clean up their hay, clean up the poop, the whole works. And there used to be a show on the radio, this was over in Saratoga, um, called the Bluegrass Ramble. And I, I think it was on the radio here as well. Yeah, I'm getting some heads. And, yeah, I, and I, it was on, like, I don't know if it was on like every night, but it seemed like it was on a lot. And I would listen to it. And it turns out, here's some hope for you grandparents. My grandparents were right. I, I came to really love it. I cultivated an appreciation of it, and I understood what was valuable in it. And, you know, going on like, no, the bluegrass. It's all right, the bluegrass. And I've been thinking about this today because, you know, the reason I was really dismissive of my grandparents, besides the fact that they were, you know, hopelessly old and out of touch, although they were like 10 years older than I am now, um, was that, you know, there were, there were voices in the world that told me to be dismissive of them and their taste and to be dismissive of this language. And I was worried, I was worried about what people would think of me if I liked bluegrass music. I mean, truthfully, I don't think anyone would have really cared. Uh, but that's the way the kind of the powers of the world work is that it puts in our head that we become concerned about what we think other people might think or do. We don't even put it to the test. We just, we just assume that the world will judge us in some sort of way that we don't want to be judged, that we'll be social outcasts. And of course, at 16, that's a big deal. 
And so we, we don't welcome things that will make us seem different or odd. And, and I think that that kind of follow us through our own life. I hear lots of people talk about, you know, not wanting to do something because other people will think X about them. That's how the world seems to work for us. And I've been thinking about that a lot because I've been really thinking about this, this, day, this, this um, heavenly bread, this bread of life that Jesus is talking about and offering today. In fact, we're going to hear about the bread of life for like the next six weeks. There's a whole bunch of the Saint of John's gospel that we're going to go through where Jesus is going over and over again this, this idea of the bread of life and that he is the bread of life. Because I've been thinking about this story and wondering how do we eat the bread of life? What does that actually mean? I mean, it's a great metaphor. You know, Jesus is sustenance and when we follow Jesus, it's it's like it fills us up, and that's great. But, but actually, practically, how do we do that? It's kind of similar to the story you might remember of Jesus at the well with the woman in Samaria, the Samaritan woman, where he's, Jesus is all by himself because the disciples have gone off to get uh, supplies. And he's at Jacob's well, which is this famous well in Palestine. And a woman comes along to fill up her jar of water, and Jesus said, hey, can you give me a drink? And she's like, yeah, okay, I'm not supposed to talk to strange men, but I'll give you a drink. And he goes, you know, I have some water that if you drink it, you're never thirsty. And she's like, all right, I'll take some of that water. And she thinks he's like a little crazy, I think, uh, if, you, if you really read into it. But she finally comes to realize that, that Jesus is not some just, not just your average crazy guy wandering through the desert but that he is something more. In fact, he's, he's God incarnate. He's the Messiah, the one they've been waiting for. And he is, in fact, offering something amazing, this, this water that we speak of. Same way with this bread of life. Jesus is offering something concrete, and it seems a little crazy at first, but I think it's actually something real. But the thing about bread is, you know, most of us, we, we come to church... I will. I come to church like every day. But, um, you know, mostly we come to church like on Sunday and we participate in this worship. And when we talk about the bread of life and we ask, you know, what is that? And a lot of people might answer, well, it's communion, right? We, that's what we say in the communion prayer. It's the bread of life. We're going we're to partake of Christ in communion. You know, but the thing about bread is, for the most of, of human history and for most people around the world, bread is daily sustenance. You don't go eat bread once a week. You eat bread every day, right? We, we need food every day. We don't just eat like once in a while, but every day. And, and I think when Jesus is talking about this bread of life, I think it's something that we are supposed to partake of every day. That our faith lives are not, not bracketed into a particular time during the week or a particular ritual in which we participate, but that it's, it's a part of a daily pattern of life that we are being invited into. Now last week you might remember I talked about sort of those key disciplines, those practices of faith, of worship and prayer and service and study and generosity, of, of, of making those practices a part of our faith life. And and I don't really want to go over them in detail again, but I, I do think that, 
that if we are called to follow Jesus, it has to be something more than just some idea that we have in our head about who he is. That it has to translate into actual concrete choices and actions we make as we move through the world. That we partake of the bread of life and the water that leaves us without thirst by by living out our faith, by engaging in the practices of faith, of, of coming here for sure, right? Of sustaining ourselves in the sacraments, of being in Christ's presence in that way. But, but taking what we receive, we take in the Christ here so we can kind of take it out into the world and, and give it away again, which is why we got to keep coming back to fill ourselves back up because if we're out there in the world giving away Christ, we've got to come back and get a little more. But also through a daily prayer life, that's important, that we have to be in a relationship with God, and the way we are in relationship with God is through prayer. And, and there are a bazillion ways to pray. I have confidence that all of us can find a meaningful, valuable way to enter into prayer life. And of course, we need, to, we need to do the things that Jesus did. We have to do service to others, to the least of these, as Jesus calls them. That we have, for the most part, been blessed with, with many things. But the responsibility of those blessings is an obligation to, to share them with the world. And so we are also called to be generous in the way that we share of the blessings that we have received. And I've been thinking, you know, that one of the problems that our church has faced, in fact, all churches in America and in many other places has faced, is that for a long time, we kind of let our Christianity get in the way of Christ. That we built this beautiful edifice of religion and this kind of a way to insulate ourselves from Christ. We built this like big wall so that we couldn't eat the bread and and drink the water that gives us life. Which kind of brings me back to the whole thing about bluegrass because there was a lot of stuff in the world that told me what I should like and what I should do. And the world works that way in lots of different things. It tells us what we should do and, and it, it sets up obligations for us and it sets up expectations for us. And for a long time, we, the church, we relied on society to to do that little magic for us to get people to show up. That for generations before us, there was sort of a social obligation of church going and people went because that's what they were sort of expected to do. And so we had a lot of Christianity, but we lost touch as a church with Jesus. We we stopped eating the bread and we stopped drinking the life that leaves us without thirst. And, and it got to a point where we relied so much on society that we forgot how to bake the bread. It's like we spent all our time building the most beautiful oven you can imagine. But we forgot how to knead the dough and to stick it in there and bake it. And so now we find ourselves in a place where those powers that, that we've already discovered aren't really that good for us has stopped working in the favor of the church. And so we're left wondering and worrying about what the future may hold. But I gotta be honest with you, I, I'm really not that worried about what the future holds for the church. I think it's gonna look different than it used to be. But I think if we were to poll the people who are here today, on average, I'm gonna bet that you're a far more spiritual bunch, that you are more in touch 
with Christ than if we had done the same poll 30, 40, 50 years ago. That our church may be smaller than it once was and smaller than we'd like it to be, but that I think that we are closer to God than we have probably been in a long, long time. And I think the difference is that as a church, and I don't mean just this parish, but like our wider church, we have sort of rediscovered this, this Jesus who is offering us something amazing. And the reason I'm not worried is because people are hungry and thirsty for the meaning and the purpose and the connection to something much larger than themselves that Jesus is inviting us into. That people still want to eat the heavenly bread of life and they want to drink of the water that leaves them without thirst. Because the same problems that beset those people in our scripture stories hundreds and thousands of years ago are the same problems that people face today. In the same way that God was present with them and responded to them and, and was with them and wanted them to understand this, this amazing banquet, this feast that is so much more than bread and water that is on offer is, is there for the taking. It's not even like you have to dress up fancy. You just got to show up and partake of the banquet of the feast. It's like, it's like going to the, the golden corral of faith. It's so much more than we could possibly ever take in ourselves. And I think that we're better off that the worries and concerns of the world aren't driving people to our doors but that Jesus instead is inviting them in rather than being driven in. This bread of life is something that we should partake of every day. That faith is like a, a feast and a banquet that is, that is rich and delicious and fulfilling. And that when we do the things of faith, when we, when we worship together and we pray and we, and we serve others and we give of ourselves and we, and we study the stories of Scripture so that we can begin to see the hand of God at work all around us, our lives become full and bounteous. That they become, we feel satisfied and blessed. And that's not because everything is going great for us, but because we know that we are a part of this amazing thing, God. That we are partners with God in this, in this creation of the kingdom of a, of a better world. A world where we, we live not just in the spiritual banquet, but in a, in a real and temporal banquet as well. Eat of Christ. Drink of him. Sustain yourselves day by day with what God has to offer. And when we do, we won't be hungry for meaning and purpose. And we won't be, be thirsty for, for companionship. We will have those things and in abundance. Amen.